is the Business of Reselling podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Oman. Okay, everyone, it's time for, excuse me, episode five. Uh, This should be kind of a fun one. I have a lot of different things to say, but the theme of this week's episode is about successful reselling during massive inflation. And I feel like this topic might come back a few more times over the next several months or maybe longer. Um, There's a lot we can say and kind of analyze about what's going on in the world that might affect our our reselling businesses. Um, So this is kind of my um, opening act. I'm going to talk a little bit about inflation today and um, what it means for our businesses and some of the things that you can try to kind of combat it a little bit by focusing on what you can control. Um, First of all, sorry if the uh, audio quality isn't quite as good this week. Um, It's just too hot to record in my dining room, which is my um, converted podcast studio. Uh, It's not even that hot. It's like 27 degrees Celsius, but um, this house does not have good insulation. And so it just like bakes in the middle of the day and the back of the house becomes too hot because our portable air conditioner doesn't reach that area. So anyway, I'm trying to sit where it's cooler and that means the windows are open and my dog is here. And so it could be a little bit noisier than usual, but hopefully everything will be fine. So I missed a week on the podcast. Uh, sorry about that. I just needed to, uh, we, did travel to Niagara Falls, as I mentioned on a couple of previous episodes. Um, I did get a couple of tips on places to um, check out to maybe do a little bit of picking, but unfortunately, we didn't have a whole lot of time for that, so I didn't make it to those. Thank you if you made any suggestions. Um, we did hit up a couple of yard sales. Uh, didn't pick up much. Picked up some uh, vintage safety glasses for under a dollar a pair, which are kind of cool. I might get 20 or 30 bucks for those, and um, a really neat like Kodak film cooler bag, like a soft cooler uh, for five bucks, which I think I'll get like 40 US for. So that, I mean, whatever. It was fun. We weren't there to do picking. We were there for personal reasons. Um, so it was pretty cool. But anyway, I just uh, needed to skip a week of the podcast because everything was just getting a little bit too uh, overwhelming. So here we are, though. Episode uh, five. Um, So I've mentioned it already on a few episodes, and I'll continue to do so up until October. But if you are able to join us at the Reseller Remix, the Boss Reseller Remix in Las Vegas, October 10th through 13th, uh, please do. I'll be speaking there. Um, Katie and Vicky are the organizers of that event, and they are total pros. I'm really excited to be a part of it, Um, so please consider coming down and checking out that event in October in Las Vegas. Tickets are around 300 bucks, and I think you're going to get thousands of dollars of value out of it. So resellerremix.com if you're interested in that. Uh, Before we get to the main event today, um, I wanted to talk about a situation I'm facing right now with, or I was facing recently, with an abusive buyer. Um, I know it's not that common to get really abusive buyers on eBay. We, we get rude customers. It's kind of a regular thing. You know, you get somebody who's abrupt or curt with you, and that's kind of normal. I mean, we see that stuff. Um, tone doesn't always come across the way we want it to in, uh, in text. So, but, you know, a real abusive buyer situation is not, it's like, it's pretty rare, you know. But recently I had one where we shipped these two model kits down to, I think, Arizona somewhere. 
And six days later, the buyer didn't have their package. And they wrote me this email, or they wrote five messages actually on eBay that were um, all, you know, full of expletives and profanities and calling me a piece of, you know, what, and where's my model kit and F this and F that. And um, it turned out that the buyer didn't even put their proper address in in their address field when they were ordering. And so just to cap off what was already a frustrating experience for both of us, the package got returned and um, they were upset at me for that. So they wanted me to fix it, um, which of course I couldn't do because it was already on its way back. And uh, I think I had about 15 or 16 messages from that buyer in total. Not all of them were um, as, were as abusive as the original ones, but some of them were pretty bad and there were some threats about what would happen to me if he didn't get his money back. Anyway, the buyer purchased these two model kits in two separate transactions for whatever reason, but we shipped them together. Then they opened an item not received case for one of the model kits and a return for changed mind on the other one, which of course, as you know, a return for changed mind forces the buyer to pay for the return shipping. Um, but none of that mattered because the items were already on their way back to me. The buyer escalated both cases to eBay and eBay decided to refund the buyer in full without any impact to me. So they said, we're not deducting these funds from my account and there would be no defects on my account, which was fine. But what really rubbed me the wrong way was just the fact that this buyer who I did report to eBay and did speak to a CSR about um, essentially got their money back um, despite being, I mean, not just mean, but also quite, you know, I mean, dare I say pretty stupid about their whole purchasing situation. And they were zero feedback buyers. Well, um, which doesn't always mean anything, but in this case, I think it did. So anyway, I, I, wrote I wrote a message to some of the top brass at eBay whose email addresses I have and told them about this because I thought you know it's it's not it's it's one thing to just you know uh smooth over the situation by giving the buyer their money back and then saying okay it's not going to affect the seller that's that's fine but what does this person know now they've now learned that this eBay is a platform where they can abuse sellers they can threaten sellers um they can be demeaning and condescending and put people down and get a refund anyway. And that's what bugs me because eBay, like all online marketplaces where we sell is supposed to be a safe marketplace, right? Safe, there should be safe transactions. And while eBay of course can't control the actions of buyers or sellers on the platform directly, they can do their best to make sure that these people don't have the opportunity to act that way again. And in this case, this buyer will. And so it really bugs me. So I haven't heard back from anyone at ebay yet but uh if and when i do i'm definitely going to update you on this scenario it is just one situation that happens specifically to me but i'm sure it's relatable if you've been on the ebay platform for some time um and so if you're curious about the outcome i will try to keep you up to date on it if i have anything else to say i also wanted to uh follow up on episode four so last week was just the tip just a tip episode, which was all about audience building. So I discussed how to build your email list um, to nurture repeat buyers and to develop relationships with your customers, which I think is a super important thing to be doing during these um, uncertain economic times. 
Um, but I also mentioned that our sales were down overall, like many people's. And so I thought maybe that messaging sounded a bit contradictory. I'm saying, hey, do email marketing, it works. And then I'm also telling you that our sales are down. Um, so then you might think, oh, maybe it doesn't work. But um, I do feel that email marketing is still working for us, even though our sales are down as well. So for one, they're not down nearly as much as I've seen other sellers um, suggesting that their sales are down. Um, our repeat buyers, I looked at the stats, our repeat buyers are up 28% over last month. So connecting with them and communicating with them is bringing people back. Uh, so even if sales are down overall, I can only imagine how much worse it would be if I was not communicating with these people. Um, the other thing about the email list is that even if people aren't ready to buy when you email them, by continuing to communicate with them, you stay in their minds. So even if they're not ready to buy right now, they're thinking of you when they are ready. And that can be really important is just to keep that relationship. So they're like, oh, I have a bit of disposable income. Who was that seller? Who was that seller? Who was that person that I used to buy from who I really liked? And if, you, if you're um, communicating with them by email on a somewhat regular basis, they're more likely to remember you. Uh, so that means just maintaining a relationship with them and so that they want to spend with us when they can. You know, the timing of the messaging is critical at certain times of the year, but right now, if people are feeling like they want to hold their wallets a little bit tighter, um, then it's just about um, making sure that you're still in the minds of your buyers so that when they want more of what they already got from you, um, you're the first person they'll think of when they do have some disposable income. So that's, I just kind of wanted to wrap that up with those comments. All right, so let's get to the main event. I want to talk about reselling during massive inflation. So we're hearing all these words, right? We hear these words, key interest rates, um, inflation, shrinkflation. Um, all of this stuff is on the news. And I think sometimes it's not always totally clear what that means, or it's not readily obvious how these things impact our lives as resellers. You know, no one's going out in the media and saying, oh, if you sell on eBay, you know, times are really tough right now and here's what you can do. No one's talking about that, obviously. So I wanna talk about what inflation means generally, um, what's happening right now, um, sort of some of the reasons why it might be happening, um, what could happen next and what it means for us as resellers. So let's just start with like a basic definition of what inflation means generally. So according to the Bank of Canada, and I will link this article in the show notes, the Bank of Canada says, quote, inflation is a persistent rise in the average level of prices over time. The thing about inflation is it's always there. We've had low interest rates for many years now. Um, we've had very slow inflation, but it's still there. I mean, you you know, right? You know in your, your grocery spending, your coffees at, at the coffee shop, like, over many years, even with very low inflation, prices still do increase. And that's actually a very normal thing. Um, low inflation is a driver of economic activity. Um, and when inflation is stable and predictable, that allows for better planning at all levels. It allows companies to plan out their finances and their hiring programs better, it allows us as consumers to plan our spending better um, over a longer period of time. But what we have right now is fast, high inflation and very much uh, unpredictability in pricing. So things all of a sudden go up in price that they seemed stable for a long time and didn't really increase. And then all of a sudden you're going to buy your favorite coffee brand and it's 30% more than it was the week before. And you're like, what is going on? 
Um, so going back to the pandemic for just a minute, you know, thinking about how consumer habits changed then, there were much fewer places to spend money. And so people tended to save more. And when people were spending money, they were spending it online. So anybody, if you're out there, if you were selling in 2020 and 2021, you were probably having banner years. Uh, because people were going online, they didn't have opportunity to spend money in very many other places. But now that these restrictions are basically gone, people are throwing money at all the things that they couldn't do for the past two years. And so the people who were in a position where they were able to save more than usual, now they have that money to spend. So it's just like, oh my gosh, we can travel now. We can see our friends. We can go to that wedding. We can take that road trip. Um, we can spring for the fancy hotel. We can do all this because they, they missed it partly. And also because on average, um, American and Canadian consumers, and I'm focusing mostly on North American data here, um, have, have saved and now have a little more money to spend than they did a couple of years ago. But what that does is it puts upward pressure on prices. So there's higher demand for lots of different products and services that we couldn't get during the pandemic. And that higher demand means that the companies can and will ask more for their products and services. And then when you add that to the real problems with supply chains globally, which are affecting nearly every single industry, you know, everything from regular foodstuffs to cars. Um, and so then you get lower supply. So you have higher demand, um, then you have lower supply for all kinds of different circumstances. And then this further increases prices because there's less than less to go around. So right now I'm trying to buy a car. So I'm buying a car. I've actually never had a car in my whole life. This is my first car. So I think, okay, I pick the car I want. Um, I'm looking for like a small four-cylinder little car because we have a pickup truck and that's a lot. So I want a little car to balance that out, you know? So I pick the Chevy Spark. This is the car I want. Chevy Spark, okay, A, lower supply because the Chevy Spark is out of production as are many four-cylinder gas vehicles. Um, a lot of automobile producers have stopped or are about to stop producing these vehicles, I think um, because they're more favoring electric cars. So supply of cars like the Chevy Spark is down. Um, as well, I'm sure you've heard of like the semiconductor shortage, which has been going on for a long time. Um, there's, you know, maybe increased demand for vehicles because people aren't comfortable taking transit like this. So there could be those kinds of consumer factors that affect uh, demand for cars. And so the dealerships are like out of cars. <laughs> <laughs> and so there you go to a dealership, there's like five cars on a lot for them are reserved for somebody else already. So there's nothing there. There's nothing to test drive. It's just no, no cars. So I, okay, I call around, I find a dealership. Do you have any Chevy Sparks? Okay, they say, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to get 20 more Chevy Sparks ever. I've sold 19 of them. Do you want the last one? Uh, yeah. Is it on your lot? Oh, no, 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 no. He laughs at me. It's like on a boat off the coast of Korea or something. It'll be here like the end of August, maybe middle of September. You want this car, you have to put $500 down, we'll reserve it for you. And then when you get it, you have right of first refusal to choose if you want this car. So I don't get to see the car. I don't get to touch the car. I don't get to drive the car. I don't get to do anything with the car at all, except look at pictures of it on the internet um, and wait. <laughs> so this has been my experience driving a car. So when we talk about inflation, oh, and because there's such a short supply of new cars, the price of used cars is crazy. So uh, 2019 or 2020 Chevy Spark right now is going in Canada for like well over $20,000. And the brand new one that I'm going to get whenever, who knows when, maybe next year, I don't know. When it gets here on the boat is 18.8. So it's cheaper 
than the used one. So this is what's happening, right? This is just a, just an example of this supply and demand conundrum that we're in. Um, so what's happening? People are trying to spend a lot of money. The prices are going up. So we're in this kind of transition period where it's like the prices are going up, but people still maybe have some savings to work with. And they're also really excited to do stuff. And they're like, ah, oh, okay, I'm going to take this trip. I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to do this stuff. And then I'll claw back my spending a little bit later when my savings starts to dwindle, right? When that inflation really starts to hit me. So I think right now we aren't feeling the full brunt of inflation and I'm no economist. So this is just my sense of what's going on, but it's just it's how I feel. I think it's probably going to get worse. And I think consumers are going to tighten their wallets up a little bit more. I think right now people are just trying to enjoy their summer. Um, so they are spending actually quite a lot right now. And a CNBC article that I found, uh, which I'll also link in the show notes, reported that American credit card balances are up 13% in Q2 2022. So that's between April to June of this year. Credit card balance is up 13%. So people are spending, and they're spending more since the prices are higher, but they're actually getting less for their money. So um, we're, it's looking like consumer debt is probably starting to increase as well. Um, but what has also started happening kind of simultaneously and almost contradictory to this like big amount of spending is that consumers are withdrawing spending on things that they don't really need as they react to the price of the necessities going up. So the harder they're hit by like the food shelter needs getting more expensive, the less likely they are to spend what disposable income they have on like collectibles and vintage stuff that you and I sell. So what do we do in this situation? Like governments try to control inflation is what they do. It's one, and one of the ways that they do that is by raising interest rates. So in theory, what is supposed to happen if the government raises key interest rates, then the price of like borrowing money increases. And in theory, this is supposed to curb spending because the debt costs more. So people will spend less because they want to avoid the debt. So that's why you're starting to see slowdowns in like housing markets. So some of those big ticket items are like not flying away, not being sold as fast as they were a few months ago because those interest rates are getting more expensive and people are thinking, oh, maybe I'm just going to avoid taking that on right now. And so that'll trickle down probably and affect spending on smaller ticket items. So what might happen next? We can't say for sure, but if inflation doesn't slow down, people's disposable income will be decimated. And this means that economic activity can slow down. And those are some of the hallmarks of a recession, the scary R word. So a recession being a sustained period of slow or declining economic activity. So what I think, and again, just my opinion, I think what we're seeing right now is maybe just the tip, um, just the tip haha, of what consumer spending might start to look like for the next I don't know, it could be six months, could be 12, 18 months. It's hard to say. I think uh, governments overall are trying to avoid a recession if they can by not raising interest rates too fast, but we're seeing them go up in Canada faster than was expected. And so that recession word is definitely something that's looming. So what's going to happen during a recession? People aren't going to buy their luxury goods, their extra things as much. And if you're like me and you sell vintage and collectibles, that's a category where people are likely to claw back their spending. So if your sales are slow right now and you can't really think of another explanation why, you're probably seeing some of the effect 
effects of this shrinkage of extra money already. Um, however, and I think this is important to remember, there's also something called inflationary psychology. And this is where buyers keep spending, which could be happening right now. They keep spending because they think it's still cheaper than it's going to be in a month or two. So people are like well aware that the prices are going up and they're going up very quickly. So they're like, I want to buy everything I, I can right now because like, you know, in the fall, it's going to cost a lot more. Um, so that could explain partly why we're seeing this kind of paradox in spending behavior where people seem to have a lot of money and then like also no money at the same time. Um, so a lot of analysts are predicting that the big economic slowdown is really going to get going in September, but uh, that doesn't mean people won't still want to buy gifts because we're going to be heading into that typically busy um, fourth quarter season, October to December for us resellers is usually the best three months of the year. Um, and people will still want to buy gifts. Um, but what Q4 could mean is that people are buying different kinds of things and they may spend their money in different ways. So here's some ideas, just things to think about. Um, so for one, consumers might buy more household and practical items, even as gifts. So it's like, oh, you know, I know, you know, prices are going up and you just moved into your new house. Maybe you need this like set of dishes or this toaster or whatever. Um, and so they may be even buying things like that as gifts for other people because they kind of serve a dual purpose. So they're going to be practical and useful things that may be harder for people to uh, afford in general. Uh, people with low to average incomes, they might not go for the big ticket items for their collections if they want to continue to maintain collections, whatever it is that they like to buy. They might choose to spend smaller amounts at a time. Um rather than like buying a whole bunch of stuff at once or, you know, buying in big lots. So instead of like, if there's somebody who's a comic book collector, instead of buying like Amazing Spider-Man 300, they're going to fill out like a part of their Spider-Man run that's like cheaper to get because the issues are easier to find. Um, so this might suggest that you should flood your store with cheaper inventory because if people are going to be cheap, then you, you know, kind of follows logically that they would be buy, wanting to buy cheaper stuff. But I actually don't think that that's the best approach. Uh, in fact, rich people got richer during the pandemic and those people with money are unlikely to lose at all, even if there is a recession. Uh, in fact, they might see big opportunities to buy their high ticket collectibles at a really good price as investments because more people may be liquidating than, than they were previously. So people who are already well off, they might adjust their spending in small ways, like maybe they'll go out for dinner like one less time per month or per week or whatever. Um, but inflation is probably not going to affect people with a higher income as much as it will lower income people. So what can you do about it? Well, think about what kinds of customers you would like to attract. And most people would say, well, it's everybody, you know, I want to have something for everyone. That's fine. So consider incorporating more practical items into your store, practical, you know, uh, household items, useful stuff, things that people need at home, but only do that if that fits with your branding or what buyers expect from you. So if you're like, if you know, you know, if you're all in on like, uh, I don't know, rare LPs or, you know, uh, slot cars or whatever it is that you like to sell, um, you know, moving into like small household appliances and like cutlery might not like might be kind of weird. So your, your repeat buyers might kind of fall by the wayside because you're all of a sudden selling really different stuff. But if you already sell some of these items, 
you might consider building more of them into your inventory and sourcing more of that kind of stuff because um, people may be looking for those kinds of items even if they're buying them for other people. Um, my big thing, because I'm always telling people you got to increase your average selling price, so that's one of the most important things you can do to ensure the profitability of your business in the long term. And one of the ways to do that is to look for higher ticket items to list. So cater your business to the people who are less affected by inflation and who will still have money if a recession hits. So now is not necessarily the time to be selling cheaper items or to be putting all your store on a massive discount offer. It may sound a bit contradictory, but trying to list more expensive items might begin to attract the kind of buyer who isn't really going to be affected by this inflationary situation that we're in. I think it's also important to accept that many of your lower or mid-price items just might not sell for a while. The demographic who buys these things is really feeling the pinch. So, And there may be more sellers trying to sell these commonly found items, and that could saturate the market for specific items. So when you're looking for something to list on eBay, you know, consider like how many of these things are available for sale versus how many have sold in the last 90 days. And if that's not a good ratio, like if there's 10 times more of that thing for sale than there are sold items, this is probably not a good thing to be putting in your store right now. Um, and a lot of those items that are like, you know, 10, 15, 20, even like 30 or 40 bucks are pretty easy to find and they're very common on the market and that's kind of why their prices are where they are. So think about things like teacups, most teacups, not all of them, uh, occupied Japan figurines, um, you know, maybe vintage linens, like stuff like that. Like it's, you know, it's stuff that like a lot of people can find relatively easily. So there's going to be more of that on the market probably. And that people who buy those is like may not be spending the money on those things right now. Um, so if you really want to keep selling those low to mid price items, then the strategy should be to source cheaply. Yep. Um, so if you're selling most of your items under $100, you need room to offer discounts and bundle prices to keep those low to medium income buyers buying. And that means you need to source cheap. So that might mean buying in bulk so that you get a whole bunch of items at a lower price per item. Um, maybe it means, you know, de decreasing your um, budget per item. There's a lot of different ways to approach it. But uh, I'm just saying that if you want to continue to sell those kind of like commonly found um, relatively low ticket items, if you're out there buying, you need to buy those things for really, really cheap so that you do have room um, and you still uh, free discounts and you can still make a good margin. Um, be patient, focus on the things that you can control. Right, so we've already talked about looking at uh, how to uh, find your repeat buyers, how to communicate with them, how to touch them and get them coming back. Um, you can control your pricing. You can control how you offer discounts. Um, you can control how you market and advertise your business. So um, patience is really going to be the name of the game for the next little while. Um, so continue um, plugging away, focusing on what you know you can control and, um, and just working, working with that. But get to know your buyers, right? So last week's episode was about building an audience by using an email list. If you have this, you can use it to ask buyers what they're looking for and then try to source that for them. It's an option. You can also nurture repeat buyers. They have some money they bought from you. So you know they have some money. So use the tools provided by your selling platform, such as coupons and eBay, 
to coax people back to buy more. Also, if you can sell like items. So for example, model kits are something we picked up a lot of in March, uh, hundreds of them. And we keep having the same buyers coming back to buy more. So people who buy one are likely to buy more. You can build an audience this way and keep happy buyers coming back. Rather than having 500 items in your store and every single one is different, that is cool. It's great to have variety. I mean, look at our store. We have a massive variety. But if you want those repeat buyers to keep coming back to you over and over again, it's kind of nice if you have, um, you know, a lot of selection of a particular category of item. And that can compel these people to come back once they've bought from you once. Um, so there, those are a few of the tips and ideas that you could think about for now. Um, if you have more, I would love to hear about them, right? You can always email me or comment on the YouTube channel um, and let me know what other ideas you have for sort of combating this uh, weird sort of economic reality that we're in. Uh, this is just my opinion. This is what seems to be working well for us. Another thing we're doing is having auctions off of eBay. So we're using other platforms to build our customer base. Um, and those are those are working pretty well. We have a lot of buyers coming in looking for great deals and then they end up spending quite a lot of money because <laughs> we have a lot of good stuff. So uh, we just had an auction end yesterday that brought in about $5,000. So we're pretty happy with that. It only took us, you know, a few hours to set it up. Um, so yeah, uh, before I leave off today, I also want to discuss briefly why we're leaving Etsy. We've been on Etsy for a bunch of years, probably about as long as we've been selling on eBay, mm, seriously about six years, uh, but I'm giving it up. I'm done with Etsy. There's several red flags that I found with Etsy. Um, Sorry, if you're hearing noise there and my dog is playing with a toy and I'm just not going to stop this recording. So he might just be in the background for a bit. Um, Etsy's mandatory ad fees for people uh, with a certain amount of revenue bothers me a lot. I don't like the, I don't like the idea that you can't opt out of them. Um, yes, you can deal with that problem by simply adjusting your prices to cover the cost of those ad fees. Um, but I just don't like Etsy's feet or fingers in my business quite that much when it comes to marketing and advertising. The star seller program is something that really turned me off Etsy. I hate this program so much. It's completely useless. It means absolutely nothing. It doesn't affect sellers in any way. It doesn't reward them in any way. It doesn't. Oh, there's the dog. <laughs> Sorry, a little edit there because of the dog. Because uh, I was going off about the star seller program and how much it bugs me. And uh, yeah, we had to pause there, but I'm back. Anyway, this program is pointless. The Star Seller program puts a star on your listing if you have like good customer service skills like responding to messages and shipping on time and whatever the other metric is that I can't remember. But it doesn't give you higher search placement. That's a myth. It's not in any of their policies suggesting that it does. It doesn't give you lower fees. It provides zero benefits for sellers whatsoever except make them super stressed out about not achieving Star Seller status. Etsy sellers out there, please stop obsessing over this. It makes no difference to your business at all. Anyway, I have a problem with that program, as you can tell. 
Uh, recently, they announced a 30% increase in fees without any audit added value tacked on. Apparently, they did offer a little bit of additional seller support. Um, I haven't used it, um, but I didn't really see any other benefits to the increase in fees. And yes, there's still lower fees than a lot of other platforms, but I just think when a platform increases fees, they should be bringing something to the table and Etsy isn't. Um, but really what it comes down to is the effort of listing on Etsy was really getting me nowhere. Despite my efforts to keep up with their search engine optimization changes and list regularly, sales still declined in 2021, which should have been a really good year and were even have been even worse so far in 2022. Now there is great benefit to cross-listing on multiple platforms and I would never suggest that you shouldn't do that. I think it's overall a good use of your time. I still cross-listed Poshmark. I'm enjoying Poshmark these days. It's a more accessible, intuitive platform. It has good seller support. At least that's been my experience so far. And the fees are transparent. They're high, but they're transparent. You know exactly what you're going to be paying on everything. So you can very easily price your items to um, incorporate the profit margin that you want to have. Um, so yeah, Etsy was just getting too hard. The listings were taking too longer, too long to make. I didn't want to write these big, long, flowery um, descriptions for everything just to get higher placement in search. I wasn't seeing a financial benefit to listing on Etsy anymore and just decided that my time was better spent on producing more eBay listings. That will probably bring in more revenue than any of the effort that I put into Etsy. So what I'm doing is I'm letting my listings expire and then slowly moving them over to either eBay or Poshmark. Another thing that Etsy did recently was they announced 100 free listings for a bunch of sellers. They sent a message out to certain sellers. Uh, we're not sure what the criteria was to be eligible for them. I got the invitation for 100 free listings because uh, if you don't sell on Etsy, Etsy charges 20 cents per listing and that renews every four months. Uh, and I thought, oh gosh, you know, maybe I'll come back to Etsy and just put these hundred listings up and just let those expire over the next four months and see what traction I get out of it. And then it turned out too many people were sharing the code for the free listings and they had to shut it all down. And I was just like, you guys, this is just not pro. So anyway, that's it. We're done with Etsy. Curious what you think of that. I mean, I'm, I'm totally open to, uh, differing opinions. If you like Etsy, I want to hear why, you know, I want to hear what what it is that's working for you. It just wasn't working for us. Um, so the dog is acting up again, so I'm going to go. Um, but I do want to uh, say, please uh, leave us a review on Apple um, or Spot uh, Spotify if you're listening to us there. And subscribe to us on YouTube. Tell a friend about the podcast. Share it. Um, and as you know, we're always buying. So Eddie says hello. I will be back next week with a short Just the Tip. Um, and I haven't decided on the topic yet, so it's going to be a surprise. Um, articles and resources in the links um, below in the show notes. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye.